a lot of people in those environments, a lot of them don't like to think analytically, maybe. I mean, a lot of them, it's they're there because they, they want to offer that care. Well, if we're constantly thinking analytically, well, we're not connecting. And I mean, I don't know how many 30 plus PSY farms I've walked into that are, that are failing as a business. I don't think there's any I've walked into. And so it, it is true. If we're producing healthy pigs and healthy sows, and we're, we have happy employees, things typically tend to go the right way. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Jestall, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Welcome to the Swine It podcast show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Gestal. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestal manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system. Designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Gestal is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat-level understanding. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Matthew Rhoda, who is with Swine Tech. How are you today, Matthew? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. well we're glad to have you on the, the show today, Matthew. If you wouldn't mind maybe giving our audience just a little bit of background first before we jump into our conversation, I think that would be very helpful. So I was born into the commercial swine industry. I had a father, grandfather, and great-grandfather raised pigs. I was born in Kinston, North Carolina, although my family is traditionally from the Midwest. My dad was working for J.C. Howard, so he went over there in the 90s for that opportunity, and we moved back to Iowa. So I was in Southeast Iowa over in Oskaloosa, Pella area. Um, grew up around 8,000 sows, and, and my grandpa still had his farm. so did the whole pen outdoor thing and, and did the whole indoor commercial thing. And, and I really loved working on the farm with them. It was a ton of fun, uh, worked and managed some sites through, through high school and was actually going to university of Iowa to study, uh, genetics and biotechnology I was planning on being an obstetrician. But during that I was working with Schneider pork farms as a assistant farm manager and a, and a farrowing manager and nursery manager for them. And that was fun. It was really fun because we got, I got to do the whole flow. Usually it was a bigger sow farm or a lot of finishers. And in this scenario, it was fair to finish. That was kind of fun for me to do the whole flow. Um, ended up graduating from the University of Iowa and studying, starting a company called Swine Tech, which was focused on using voice recognition to prevent piglets from dying due to being crushed by their mothers and eventually evolved that into workforce and swine management uh, with a product called Pigflow. So 
been in the industry for a long time with some work in healthcare as a CNA and a CMA as I was going that healthcare route before starting Swine Tech and learned a lot of things in healthcare that inspired my reinvigorance of coming back to the swine industry. That's certainly an interesting path. I didn't realize that that was where you initially wanted to go um, rather than pigs, right? I thought it was engineering for some reason. So um, that's actually really interesting. So you mentioned it, um, that you've been working around um, some labor management and some technology and, and how do we start to incorporate that particularly into agriculture and in this case, swine agriculture. And, and I think the nail is right there, right? We're, we need to hit that hammer on that nail and, and really focus in on labor. And so can you maybe tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in relationship to labor and some of the challenges that, that we're currently experiencing where you think technology could be beneficial? Finding labor is tough. Retaining labor can be tough. It, there's a lot of things with labor and, and we're getting a lot more individuals that have never worked with pigs before. So that makes things more, more challenging as well. But at the end of the day, we're seeing a lot of individuals drive towards the use of precision technologies to help reduce the need for labor, to help offset some of that burden. And over the last five to seven years, we haven't seen a ton of success stories in regards to technologies that have scaled effectively. And we started with SmartGuard. And I can tell you through a lot of video, and there's people out there who know the technology works, but there were still some things that got in the way of it successfully scaling throughout the industry. And the more we started talking to, to other companies, we were finding the same thing. And I, I like this example because I think we can all relate as it's heavily talked about right now. But we, we can take a, a computer vision solution, a camera that maybe tells us there's a pen of sick pigs or a, a sick sow. And we can confirm with the technology that the animal is sick. If somebody responds in four hours versus if they respond in 18 hours, the outcomes could be dramatically different from one another. And even though that person only held a very small part of the process for what it meant to successfully solve that problem, and utilize that technology, it could mean success or failure. And so figuring out how we can better understand what's going on in the farm and how technologies are being utilized in regards to our processes and our expectations, we might be able to better understand how, how they do scale effectively. How can we predict the ROI more effectively? And it's just really hard right now when you bring a technology, knowing that there can be such a huge impact from people, even if they're doing nothing wrong. So I think that's just a big challenge when it comes to bringing precision technologies to the market and, and one that's going to constantly be a challenge and, and one that even healthcare ran into. So you bring up a, a very good point in that conversation, Matthew. And um, what I think about is five to 10 years ago, when we would talk about technology in the pig barn it was almost a scary word that almost made us think that it was a different skill set, a different labor need to use technology where today, right, almost everybody uses a smartphone or a tablet or a computer. So we believe that labor can handle and, and utilize our technology regardless of education level. But where do you see labor or the or how labor plays into the adaptation and, and use of that technology today. One thing that we've found that's fairly interesting is that the perception of our employees that are coming in, although they do not know pigs, they're natural with technology. And I think that's something that 
I'm not sure if we've quite accepted because we can go into an environment and bring them technology and they'll pick it up quick. And as long as it's designed with the typical UI UX you find in Facebook and other things that they're naturally going to be using, shoot, it's incredible how much clearer the workday and what it means to flow a farm can be when you present these in individuals information in a way where they're used to seeing it. And we've actually found that the employee with even just one day of experience in a sow farm will pick it up quicker than managers who have been doing this for, for a long time. And so I think we need to acknowledge and trust that although they may not know a lot about pigs, they are natural with technology. And that's a huge advantage for us as we look into the future, because that's one less thing we have to train on. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where that paradigm has shifted. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we would have said people were better with the pigs than they were with the technology, right? And so we've, we've seen this shift. So if we think about the swine industry and we compare it to other industries that are using technology today in ways that we hope to use it, what opportunities do you see that are there for us? So this one's really fun for me because we worked rather closely with Randy Stacker, who throughout the industry is pretty well respected. And he challenged us to go out there and learn what other industries are doing. And we toured Culver's operations and manufacturing and a lot of other groups. And the first thing I want to start with is, let's say Culver's. The question was, how come we can take somebody with no fast food experience and within a day or two, just drop them in a management role where they're fairly effective at it? And we quickly learned that although it's a similar type of person and there's, there's processes and there's complexities to it, the three KPIs were, was the food cooked? Was it delivered on time? And was the order correct? Well, every person who walks into that job knows and can empathize with the feelings of undercooked food, late food, or a wrong order. So it's very easy to know the expectation and know what it feels like to not have that. And in the swine industry, you can't empathize with an animal, right? It's so hard. It takes time to figure out what even a guess might be at empathizing with the animal. And us guys on a sow farm are even further from being able to empathize what it means to give birth. So there's just so much going on there that we can't understand. So it wasn't very comparable. Then we got into healthcare and I had some background in healthcare, but when we got into healthcare, we started to understand that the healthcare industry and hospitals and nursing homes are driven by low margins, labor is their biggest challenge, and the success or failure of the organization is tied to quality of care. And when it came down to it, the moment when we look at a hospital, they're focused on throughput, bed space, all this other stuff, efficiencies. But when a nurse walks in, it's quality of care. They care about that patient. That's what matters to them. And when they look at that patient, they have the most core elements of their job that they have to be timely on, that have to be compliant, that are going to be recorded and reported for audit ready kind of situations. But they're also going to have to help them use the bathroom and help them get to lunch and deal with visitors. When we look at a sow farm, the moment anybody walks into a sow farm, it's about quality of care. It's about making sure that that animal has the best day possible in every way, all the animals. And 
the two line up scary and scary ways. They're just so similar. And so we started to ask healthcare, well, with technology, where have we come? Where have we evolved? What have we learned? And, and how is this impacting labor? And we quickly found that we had sensors. We had precision technologies in these rooms to tell us if people were falling, if they needed help. How often, when are they up? When are they not? Their vitals. But we had very inconsistent results because if somebody fell, if I didn't see that door light up, I might not get there for 20 minutes. Well, then they implemented a platform that allowed all of the patients and the nurses and the CNAs and the sensors to be coordinated together to help understand where do I need to be, when do I need to be there, and how do I need to be compliant? What do I need to be doing to help this person? And the moment they did that, what it meant to offer a quality of care in an efficient way where there's a higher quality of life for workers and residents went way up. And so we looked at the situation we were seeing in the swine industry and we we're like, wow, what if we focused more on the people? What does it mean to help them become more organized and improve communication so that they are less stressed? Because less stressed employees are going to be happier and they're going to be more capable at providing the care that ultimately they're passionate about. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the farm. So how do we do that? How do we empower our employees? I think we trust our employees a little more than what we have in the past. I think in a lot of situations, you'll walk into a scenario and let's just go with data. Data, we might have some handheld data systems and we'll only allow a couple people the, to, to be allowed to type that into it because we're worried about the accuracy. Well, we're just transcribing from the card. And so if we're worried about the person's ability to write down accurate data, well, they've already written it down, accurate or not, that's what we're going off on the card. And now we have an extra transcription that we have to go through to get it in the handheld. So we've created another opportunity for a line of, of inaccuracies and we're trusting the person to begin with. So what does it mean to trust everybody and then entrusting everybody, allow everyone to be connected at any given time. And to have, and this kind of gets closer to what we're doing, but to take goals and expectations that are set, SOPs, and embed them within the system. So that way, when people are performing an action and behavior, they can be guided by those expectations. Behaviors and actions can be reinforced where we don't have to overcomplicate it. I check on a sow and the expectation is because she's had a history of stillborns, I'm back in 15 minutes. Well, then here's my timer for 15 minutes. If I'm supposed to sleeve after not seeing a piglet for 30 minutes, after I check her, if I didn't sleeve and it says, hey, we're supposed to sleeve, All right, I can sleeve. And so embedding those goals and expectations to naturally reinforce the right behaviors in a way that helps them feel less stressed, it all comes from a place of trust. We have to trust that they want to do the right thing. And if we can empower them to do that, then the workday is exciting. So I can spend most of my time focusing on the pig and less time focusing on all the different processes that I need to do for myself to prevent me from screwing up. I was talking with an amazing manager at a really good sow farm. And she had a process where she would write something down on her, on her, on her glove, on a piece of paper, and then in her office. And we were asking her, why, why do you write this down all the time? And she said, well, I just don't want to screw up. Well, no, actually, it started with, because I, I need to, I need to, oh, I'm, I'm, I go nuts if I don't have that, I need that, I need that, I need that, and we got beyond the need, we asked, but why, but why, and she said, well, I don't want to screw up, so why do you want to screw up, because I care, and so we inundate ourselves with processes 
because things aren't always easily organized and it wastes time. So how can we help with that organization so that people aren't afraid of screwing up and they're more excited about going out and doing great things? And that's a really interesting way of looking at it, maybe kind of a little bit of reverse, right? But yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely right. They they care and they're because they care, they're so diligent in what they do that it almost paralyzes them in some ways to be as efficient or you know able to do more than what they're doing at that time. You had a podcast recently with Fred Kerr, and he he had said it right, right? Like people they go in wanting to do the right thing. And I know you highlighted that, that part of his talk, and it's so true. People don't typically sign up for something that they feel like they're going to be bad at because there's no fun in that. They want to do the right thing. So think about what we know about labor today and where some of these challenges are. What, what do we do next? That's the question. That's the question. And there's a biased approach on my end, but there's so many things that we can do next. I mean, when it comes to bringing people in, So this is kind of an unpopular belief on my side, but I get a lot of laughs when I bring it up because I think it's very true is it's not very, it's not very liked or accepted in the industry when somebody headhunts from one another. But if we pay 28% for a recruiter to do it, it's okay. Well, how can we work together? If we have people who are unhappy looking for something different, is there a way for us to save 28% of our expenses on acquiring labor to work together? Maybe, maybe there's some opportunity there. But when we bring them in, how can we reduce the time of, of onboarding? I mean, there's obviously some training needed for skills, but the time that seems to take the longest is from month one to month five. It's I know how to create a nurse out, but when and where and who do I choose? And just the decisions throughout the day that really tie to process. And we have a pretty good expect, a good understanding of what we expect. So how can we reinforce those behaviors? Marcio and, and, and you and the whole Swinet team, you are a big part of it. There's a lot of professionals out there that are in their early 30s that are thinking, well, what next? Well, become more educated. There's, there's limitless opportunity in this industry, limitless opportunity in that cell farm. How can you continually raise the bar? So because there's so many areas, you just kind of have to chop it up and figure out what can we learn from other industries about labor. And I really want to stress the healthcare part because we so often hear about ourselves comparing us to manufacturing and their processes. But when it comes to in the farm, the only thing we measure ourselves on more or less is quality of care. That's the metric. Well, we don't often talk about it like quality of care. So what can we learn if we start looking at it in regards to quality of care as opposed to kind of efficiency and throughput? And that's all important, but we got to look through the lens of the people in the farm every day doing that hard work. And I think it's interesting, right? Because one of the things we always tell people is, well, if you take care of the pigs, it'll show, right? The yeah. pigs will tell you, they'll be happy. The performance will be good. You know, all these other things will fall into place. And so while we can't necessarily ask the sow or the nursery pig, how is your care today and rate it one to 10, they do tell you in their own way if they are receiving quality of care. So I think that's a, a really good concept. And it's not one that I think a lot of us think about in relating ourselves to healthcare. So yeah, and I a do lot like of people- that analogy. A lot of people in those environments, they may not, a lot of them don't like 
to think analytically, maybe. I mean, a lot of them, it's they're there because they, they want to offer that care. Well, if we're constantly thinking analytically, well, we're not connecting. And I mean, I don't know how many 30 plus PSY farms I've walked into that are, that are failing as a business. I don't think there's any I've walked into. And so it, it is true. If we're producing healthy pigs and healthy sows and we're, we have happy employees, things typically tend to go the right way. So we talked a little bit about past activities and current processes and technology and change of, of thought, but you know, why is our evaluation of today's processes really kind of outdated? I mean, I think we've hit on it, but maybe let's allude a little bit more into why you feel like it's, it's outdated. So through COVID and through this, what we call it a pivot, right? Changing a little bit of our business direction, try to understand how we can help. And labor was a big conversation. I spoke with 33 of the top 40 producers in the U.S. and, and over a couple hundred employees. And all of them attested to the fact that when it comes to processes, we're not really aware of what's happened, who did it, and how well was it done against our expectations. So we know things are happening, and we know that they're relatively in the right or wrong direction, but we can't really quantify it. And the only position, the only activity in a sow farm where an individual can actually look at something they did and know how they as an individual affect the whole is breeder to conception rate. In my opinion, that's the only one where someone can say, I'm a good breeder. I did it well. I know how I, I, I know. And that matters. That, that truth, the truth behind I am good at my job, it's, it's something you can get excited about. Well, we should be able to know that about people attending sows, fostering, nurse sow creation, treatments. Like who's identifying the right sows? Who's, who's the best at at following up on sows that are farrowing and, and who intuitively is finding the right nurse sows, who's placing pigs in the right way. And the numbers will tell us, but we haven't really trusted our teams enough to enable ourselves to move in a way where we can get to that information. Well, we're starting to get to that information. Now we're finding that employees can pick these things up very quickly, faster than what most of us can. And and get us this information in a way where they're actually saving more time doing it. So that that's exciting to me to figure out within these processes, there's so much room of oppor for opportunity because we really don't know. We do not know. I mean, I go into so many farms and, and teams will say, yeah, I'm checking sales every 20 minutes. And, and they are so confident, so confident. We put our system in their hand. And after the first day, they're like, whoa, I had no idea. What do you mean? I swear I'm trying, but I, I'll go help the sow over there that's having an issue. And by the time I, I look back at the device, I got six sows that have, that, that have already exceeded the time limit that I haven't got back to. I'm like, you see? And what's really cool about that, really cool, is this ability to bring a more agile workforce to the swine industry. Usually it's quarterly. What was the plan? What happened? Why? Well, we're not quite sure. Let's give it another three months, or maybe we do have a decent idea, but it's, it's fairly vague. On one farm, we had a team that had three individuals checking sows, and they could see their times. And they quickly found that they were checking on sows about every 45 minutes when the goal was 20, and they were all trying really hard. And they quickly thought with one another and said, after a week, 
how about one of us checks at risk sows, sows that come in at risk or evolve to being at risk because of a stillborn in the current litter. And the other two of us snake the room at normal sows. That way we're always snaking and nobody's bouncing back to animals that might be on a different time frame or a different watch. It dropped the, the response time so fast. They saw immediate benefits. And the story behind that is once we become aware of how are we even doing against the things we think we're doing, we typically find holes of, or areas of opportunity that we can fill rather quickly around process and, and, and pigs. I mean, we have incredible genetic potential as an industry. And we worked with uh, some of the Iowa State numbers, National Hog Farmer numbers, Metafarms, Ron Ketchum, and really tried to figure out what is the cost per sow for the average producer when it comes to turnover, stillborns, prewean, and sow mortality. And it was $563. But for the 90th percentile, they were capturing over 250 of that back. And typically within the same system where they're using the same genetics, same building type, and the people in the process was really the thing that was changing that. And so how can we understand how we can take advantage of this massive opportunity that genetics has already given us that we're already paying for just by being aware and intentional about understanding our processes and understanding where we can go with that. And to kind of wrap things up on this question, because I'm a little long here, is what person needs to be in the right seat? Once we understand the process and we're intentional behind it and we start to evolve and improve it, we can do what we do with breeding. We're not putting the guy with a 62% conception rate into the breeding role. We're putting somebody with the, the 96 or higher around that range, right? And who's that person who needs to be checking sows? Who's that person who should be fostering? Who's that person who should be creating nurse sows? Some of those art skills. Well, we can learn that and make sure the right person's in the right seat and that they're training others around how they're doing it. And maybe our processes aren't right. Maybe we can learn from the people out there who have a knack for this role and quantify how they're doing it so well, and then evolve our entire organization to reflect those great skill sets. And I like that because I think it tied a couple of key things together there that, that you were talking about. One was just the idea of capturing that data, right? We already talked, the industry is very heavy in, in data and, and maybe yeah. we don't know how to use it all. But if you have a system that can take that data and put it in a usable format that's very easy for the employees to work with, well, one, it, it helps, right? It helps document, prove those theories or, or displace um, what we thought might be happening and, and give us the real picture. But then two, as you mentioned, and, and this is where I, I've always think it's important is you take that employee or the group of employees and you say, okay, here was the problem. Maybe it's stillborns, right? If we're picking on the South farm, here's your stillborn rate. It's been high. We thought we were doing every 20 minutes. We weren't give it back to the employees, how do we fix that problem, right? Those employees, they're perfectly capable of coming up with a solution, just as you demonstrated, and it empowered them, right? They felt like they were part of the answer. They had the ability to think about their own day and their own activities and be able to have some influence as to what was happening, rather than some of us just going in and saying, well, let's just change this and see how it goes. So I think that's, that's actually you know, a novel way of thinking about that, right? Because employees do, if, if they are empowered and they're invested and they're making decisions that influence their workday, they're much more likely to stay engaged in their work. And 
Yeah. And on that one, one thing we found too, cause it comes to trust again, back to trust. But when we built this, we said, we're going to focus on the person first. Often we think of the data or the pig. Well, let's make the person first, the quality of care for the pig, the outcome, and the data is going to be there because it's part of the process. So when we looked at the workday, we asked employees, what makes you most stressed, most frustrated, most confused? And it was often early pig cares. And we realized, well, if we're already putting down our total born, and we already know in real time, the total number of pigs in the pen, and the SOP can be set for teats or target count for litters, or they can set that as the South Pharaohs. Well, then we can quantify on a per litter basis. What is our over under on pigs against teats? Well, now I don't have to count a room of pigs. I can see in one place, where are my at-risk litters? Where do I have more pigs than my teat capacity? Or where do I need to fill gaps? And I don't have to count. I don't have to write on a notepad. That knowledge isn't just in my pocket. It's with everyone. And if I leave and someone steps in, we don't have to count again. So there's areas, there's nuggets throughout the day where focusing on a little bit of the retention of information we always collect anyways, and using that to our advantage to gain efficiencies can make their day so much easier and tell us so much in the process. Good point. One of the last things I want to hit on is is really this idea around the processes and you know, we talk about data and being driven and we do it all the time, right? We put benchmarks out there, we put targets, we put goals, um, we'll compare farm against farm if, if you're within a system and, and that way they can have some healthy competition and, and, and all of those things. But how does this process, the one that we're talking about today, how does this process benchmarking really help the industry? Yeah, so Dr. Tom Stein talked about it a little bit at Layman, and I think we're just starting to figure out how do we want to use this, and there's some, some neat things in, in, in the direction it can go. One element of this that's really hard is every sow farm, and is, in, in my opinion, a lot of ways a unique, a unique version of itself. What works on one sow farm isn't always going to work on the other, even if they have so many of the similar things. So it's about refining what works for you and understanding why that's the case. But when we look at long time questions we've been asking, like overnight farrowing attending, and we often hear, well, I tried that and it didn't work, or we're concerned about safety, or we're not sure if that person is, is actually doing what we're wanting them to do because they're the only one on the farm. Well, now we can have a way to know what's getting done and is it compliant with our goals and expectations? Can they communicate out now to ask for help if there is an issue? And because we're quantifying our processes, now we can go in and have a better understanding of what is the opportunity if we start to flex or stretch a bit. We were working with one farm and we found that like four out of five stillborns were happening overnight. And now they could seriously say, huh, I should probably evaluate now knowing if they're compliant overnight. What does it mean to put somebody in overnight or, or at least flex hours? And so Process benchmarking will help us as an industry when we look at each other, but initially we just need to become self-aware and in a lot of ways we're not. And so we can't even hardly self-manage. And so it, when it comes to emotional intelligence, kind of bringing those buzzwords in, but self-awareness, self-management, and then we can start to work together. But until we know what's truly happening within our, our door, it's really hard to go out there and compare with others. Very good. Well, as we kind of wrap up our time, are there a few key points that you would like our listeners to, to take away from today? 
I have an open mind when it comes to the teams. I would say um, asking open-ended questions can be very powerful. Like what is frustrating you? When do you feel the most efficient? When do you feel the most stressed? And you'll be very interested in those answers because they're, they're quite unique sometimes. And uh, there's probably a lot of things you can do right off the bat to help with some of those. Uh, outside of that, trust your team. Um, when given the opportunity, when given the support, there's a lot of people out there who will surprise you. And make less assumptions. We've had a lot of scenarios where somebody who might be in upper management might assume, well, they're not going to want to do that. Or man, my people aren't interested in change. Well, it's because so many of our people for so long have been told here's a change. And it's actually made their life, made their life worse. They were told this is going to make my life better. And now it's just more work for them. And uh, that's not, not great. So I think they're desensitized to the idea of, oh, we're going to make your life better. And so when something comes along that actually does, that's great. Give them the opportunity to look at it. Make sure there's management buy-in, or at least give your people at the, at the lowest level, at the slot level, the opportunity to look at something and say, this is where I think we can go with this. Very good. It is time to our famous three. Since 1971, ZinPro has focused on improving the health and well-being of animals. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, ZinPro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to ZinPro.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So as we wrap up, as you know, we always like to ask our guest speaker a couple of questions. So the first question I like to ask you today would be, do you have a swine resource book or website or anything that you go to when you have swine questions? So for me, when I have swine questions, I'm the kind of person who I like to talk with other people. And so Doing the podcast thing with the popular pig thing has been fun for me because I, if I have a question, I go and interview somebody or I can pick up the phone. And there's so many people in this industry who are yearning to tell their story or share their perspective where there's no shortage of opinions. So finding comfort and picking up the phone and just calling is, has been good. Outside of that, it's, it's kind of tough. There's, there's a lot of ways. And, and sometimes I think you have to remind yourself, oh, maybe I should go and, and challenge even my assumptions a little bit more. And, and that can always be tough. So I like to put my assumptions out there so that they can be challenged as a bit of self-management for myself to make sure that I'm not just blindly running in a direction. How about something that's not pig related? Are you reading any books today that, that you'd like to share with the audience? So my reading, it's I'll do, I'll do reading on the business side. And there's some like things like good, great, relentless, uh, living with a seal. There's some really fun books out there, but some of them like the really businessy ones that stress me out. Cause then I'm thinking about all the things I'm doing wrong. And so a lot of the books that I like to read are stories about people's lives. Like Jeff Gordon has a good one. Matthew McConaughey has a good one. People out there who have done interesting things and been successful in some way in life have gone through challenges. They thought through things differently. So gaining their perspective outside of what's normal for me is nice because it helps me try to think through ways differently as well. And uh, yeah, if nobody's read the Matthew McConaughey book, Green Lights, that is a very, very entertaining one. 
audible it because he actually reads the book for you. And so it's probably one of the, my favorite books I've ever listened to. It's, it, it's very interesting. The stories he's got in there. I'll have to check that one out. I like reading and listening about stories of, of people in their real life and hearing those challenges too, right? I'm a, I'm a big history buff, but um, that sounds interesting. I'll have to pick that one up and, and listen to it. Oh, it's fun. Well, the last question I have for you today is, is really focused around, if you can think of somebody that you define successful, think about a characteristic or a trait that they have that you think has helped them become successful. So I got kind of a cliche one that I normally would never throw out there. And uh, so no, with me, this is rarely something I would throw out, but let's, let's go with Elon Musk a second here. Um, we have one of our, one of our investors friends was at an event where Elon was presenting in like early, early in his career, something called bank X. He's going to transform the banking industry. And the judges just reamed him. Like, this is awful. This, and he was defending it, defending like, no, you're not going to be able to do this. Well, Peter Thiel was in the audience. And so right afterwards, Peter's like, hey, I'm doing something similar. And we should team up. And it ended up being, and this guy was one of the judges who was just reaming the idea. That ended up being PayPal. And so first off, the guy went out there with something he was passionate in where everybody thought it was like, this, this is awful. It turned into something great. So don't, I like the idea of don't not talk about something because you're worried about what people might think, because that's where rubber hits the road. That's where you become refined in that perspective. And that's where you start to see things differently and start to find answers. It, it rarely starts with a good idea. I'm not even going to get into where our initial idea started. They're just really bad, but it, that's where it starts. And then when we look at what he did with Tesla, it was, let's start with a sports car, gain traction from that to build a, a normal car and then build a fleet of vehicles. And then from there, electrify the world, right? Like we're going to, and it was just so simple. Once he knew what he wanted to do, he could convey it in just three sentences. How can we as an industry as a pork board, identify where we need to go and convey that as simply as possible so that everyone in the industry can be aligned in our actions and behaviors. And I think that's what I learned from Elon. That's what's been coming up lately. Obviously, he's all over the news, so it's hard to miss it. But his beginning story there that I heard, and then what you can kind of see with Tesla and whether you like it or not, or like him or not, the guy's doing a great job in, in, in his life. So, yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting that's an interesting one i was not aware of of the paypal story so i learned something today too well again matthew i want to thank you for your time today um it was a pleasure having you on the show and and hearing your perspective on technology and where we need to head as a as an industry and certainly thinking a little bit differently about processes and how we train and educate our new employees particularly when we think about having a labor force that either is limited or has no experience in, in animal husbandry. So um, again, thank you for your time today. No, thank you for having me on. And I think our industry is going through a ton of change. And if anybody's looking to read up on something interesting, change management, I think one unpopular opinion is, well, my people are already going through a lot, so I don't want to throw more on them. Well, once somebody's in the mindset of we're changing, 
They're in the mindset. Let's take advantage of that opportunity. Let's not limit change. Let's throw it all in because typically, as long as we're in the mindset, change goes fairly well. We're setting the new standard. It's when we are never not changing that it starts to become frustrating. So change management. Change management's a, an area where I think we could all learn a lot from. Perfect. Well, with that, um, for our listeners, again, this is Matthew Rota from Swine Tech. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.